Hey there, I'm Carson Raymond, Director of Major Gifts at Darlington, and welcome to the Darlington Podcast. I'm thrilled to be joined today by Dan Powell, a member of the class of 2008. Dan currently works at the New York Times as a senior sound designer and composer. Dan is the co-creator of Dead Signals, a podcast production company that has produced multiple podcasts, including the acclaimed Archive 81, whose recent TV adaptation on Netflix soared to popularity as the number one trending show on the platform. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the Darlington Podcast, a production of Darlington School in Rome, Georgia. Join us as we take a look inside and outside our classrooms and connect with students, teachers, alumni, and more. Dan, good evening. How are you doing? Hey, Carson. It is uh, great to talk to you. I'm uh, calling in from Brooklyn. Just got back from my uh, nightly lap session at the skating rink, uh, 10 minutes away from my house. So excited to sit down and talk DAR and all things beyond. Absolutely. Now, is this an indoor and an outdoor skating rink? Uh, Both. Uh, It's both. I usually usually go to the outdoor one. Yeah. This is is a recent um, obsession of mine. Uh, My girlfriend got me into it a couple months ago. Like she's like, Oh, let's just go and try it. And I got kind of hooked. And then, then I was on, you know, Reddit Googling best brands of hockey skates for a beginner. And now I'm working my cross steps. So, uh, I don't (laughs) know, just a good winter outdoor activity. Well, it certainly beats the treadmill that uh, I do not visit as frequently as I should. Well, Dan, we're going to talk, um, some things, Darlington, we're going to talk about your path. Uh, and I, I just, again, so appreciate you taking the time to join me. So let's just jump in. Um, I think probably the uh, nugget of your past that is most glaring with your Darlington affiliation would be the fact that your father is a long time, or excuse me, I should say was a long time uh, member of the faculty. 35 years, if I calculated uh, appropriately. That sounds um, about right. Yeah, David Pell, um, 81 to 1981 to 2016. So frankly, you were kind of born into this, this networking community, right? He was yep. there for about a decade when you, when you entered the world. As, and, and then tell me when you started at Darlington, all of that being said. Yeah. Uh, so I started at Darlington when I was in the first grade, um, Miss mm-hmm. uh, Starnes class. Um, okay. She had a reputation, uh, you know, she's been retired for many years now, but you know, her mm-hmm. whole thing was uh, if you lost a tooth in class, uh, you'd get to like win a prize. And like, she, she, she was sort of this like t- tooth fairy teacher, which is okay. pretty funny. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I started, uh, first grade. Well, that, I guess that would have been like 1990. How old are you when you enter first grade? Like, uh, six or seven. I think okay, so that was on. 1996. Yeah, right. So, you know, wow, wow, um, yeah, yeah. Started Darlington 1996, first grade in the lower school. Did the lower school, did the middle school. This was back when the middle school uh, was not a, you know, resplendent Hogwarts castle. And when it was one small, uh, basically a hallway with a roof on top of it. Uh, So that was a much different era. And the middle school students of today really have a uh, different amenities than I do. Shangri-La. Yeah, no doubt. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, well, good. And in your upper school, not to fast forward too much, but in your upper school experience, um, tell me a little bit, I, I mean, aside from you know, really the, the rigor of your course load and, and so forth, what, what your you know, kind of involvement was and kind of whether we call that activities or extracurriculars, you know, where did you land as far as your hobbies and interests as they aligned with Darlington? 
Yeah. Um, I mean, my big thing, you know, all through Darlington was music. I played in bands starting in fourth grade. Um, upper school is when I really started, you know, practicing more, applying sure. myself more as a musician. Sure. Uh, the former head of the music department, William Camp, was a great teacher. Um, mm. Of course, he's not at Darlington anymore, but he taught me mm. a lot of really key things uh, mm -hmm. musically, just how to practice the right way, the importance of practicing. Um, mm -hmm. I played clarinet. Um, I was a theater kid. I did a few plays. I did some, you know, technical crew. Uh, my, my freshman and sophomore year, I ran cross country. Uh, I'm still a runner to this day, but I just was, I couldn't fight my inner theater kid. And after junior <laughs> year, I was like, I, I'm sorry, I just have to focus on creativity, uh, in my after school focus. And, you know, I think my parents had, that was probably when I crushed their dream that I would be like a serious athlete a little <laughs> bit. Cause I think sure. they're like, Oh, you sure you don't want to like do more sports. And I was like, ah, I'm good. Uh, but I, yeah. I still love running. I, I, I still love, you know, exercise is definitely key. I just, uh, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. in terms of after school activities, definitely was more of, you know, your classic kind of artsy kid. And then awesome. Yeah. Uh, in terms of coursework, uh, I was terrible at math, but pretty decent with, you know, English creative writing type stuff. Sure. So, yeah. It, do you have a, a faculty member and, and perhaps it was your father? I don't mean to pigeonhole this, but uh, you'd say uh, maybe we'll call it influential. Maybe we'll say favorite. A variety of terms could be used to describe said faculty members for you or, or maybe advisor of sort. Maybe you never had their sure. class, right? But they, but they led you in other ways. Yeah. I mean, uh, look, I, I really, both in Darlington and beyond, I have to credit my dad with a lot Amazing. of my learning and development and what I do today as a person. I mean, you know, I think my dad showed me better than anyone else has ever showed me, like what it means to close read a text and mm. uh, really just demystified the idea of making an argument and finding a thesis statement in a way that even my college professors couldn't really. Um, but more importantly, I think my dad just exposed me to a lot of different art and movies and music and culture from a really early age that just mm -hmm. like helped me develop my imagination and helped me just mm. think differently about creative work in a way that wasn't limited to rules so much as, you know, overarching what makes something good or compelling. I mean, I, uh, one of my earliest memories is my dad had a mixtape that had like the Twin Peaks soundtrack on it. And I remember getting picked up from nap time and daycare and hearing that like opening, you know, Angela Badalamenti synthesizer thing. Um, so, uh -huh. you know, when, when your earliest musical memories are the Twin Peaks soundtrack, you're pretty much cursed to do what I do for a living. Um, there was, I had no choice, <laughs> right. but I mean, yeah, I think overall just, yeah, my dad played a huge role. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, another great teacher would be uh, William Camp, you know, former music teacher, band teacher. He, really made me appreciate jazz and classical music a lot more um, at a stage when I was really getting into like learning rock band stuff and like trying to learn Radiohead songs on the piano. I think he was the one who showed me, well, here's why that sounds good or here's why that's cool. Um, so that was great. Um, I, you know, Morgan McCreary, former also Darlington alum and former uh, theater teacher was great mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. Um, well, well, Dan, I can tell you, I mean, all of that um, is so spe special to hear, but also you'll be thrilled to know that the 
the arts, we'll use it as a blanket term presently at Darlington are, are in such great hands still. I, I mean, the, yeah. from, the, from the productions to the, you know, the performance pieces, I mean, um, the, the wind ensemble, I mean, the, the pep band, I mean, I could go on and on just, just talented students and absolute and consummate professionals in that department. Um, really inspiring, you know, kind of that, that next generation, no doubt. Um, yeah. And, 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 um, Kim Tanell does a great job in leading that team. Oh yeah. Yeah. Today, which yeah. is wonderful. Um, okay. I have to ask, cause I remember this about your dad. Was there, um, quite the influence of Frank Zappa sprinkled into the music? I yeah. Never, I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think I know what you're about to say. It's the poster in his office. Uh, always. Yeah. Always. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, look, I, I, I grew up hearing my dad play Frank Zappa around the house and, That's you know, so when great. he, pick me up in the car. And I, I remember, you know, just reflexively whenever, you know, Frank Zappa wrote some raunchy lyrics and my dad had those reflexes dialed on the volume control where whenever Smart. something, you know, perhaps not safe for a three-year-old to hear, he'd be like <laughs> ducking the volume manually. Um, Absolutely. Uh, no, which seems to good. be a habit I've picked up watching movies now. Cause I'm always writing the volume to be at like a perfect level. It's one of my like ticks I have. Uh, I don't know if that's where it originates from. Mm. Um, but uh, okay. yeah, Frank Zappa, big influence uh both musically and you know ideologically i mean i think he's you know i think i really liked that because it showed oh you can be this really talented awesome artist and also not take yourself that seriously and be kind of kind of wacky so uh, don't yeah. Well, thank you for some of those Darlington insights, and 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 you were, are certainly the uh, a glaring example of a of a Dar baby, as as they are affectionately known. As, right? They're still they're still kind of Dar babies, huh? All right. Yeah, it's All still right. around. It's still lingering. And um, okay, let's talk post Darlington immediately. You springboard to your education at Syracuse University, yep. and. Um, I mean, was that specific to a program you knew you wanted to pursue at Syracuse? Was there perhaps a legacy dynamic? I know not related per se to your, your parents' education, but a cousin or something. Well, to walk me through Syracuse, like how, how yeah. that came to fruition. Um, yeah. I knew about Syracuse because uh, my uncle on my mom's side worked for SUNY ESF, which is a SUNY campus attached to Syracuse, and they're sort of mm-hmm. part of the same system. So few Christmases we'd go up and visit them there. And it was always in my mind as a place. Uh, mm-hmm. I was pretty indecisive and uncertain about what I wanted to go to college for. Mm-hmm. And I'm also a little bit of a contrarian and my whole life people were telling me, go to a small liberal arts school. Uh, you're a shy, you're going to be too overwhelmed at a big school, go to a small liberal arts school where you can really get to know people. And Syracuse did have some programs that were relevant to my interests in the communications and creative writing. But I do think part of the reason I chose it was it was a really big school that just went against uh, everyone's expectations, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> which is perhaps looking back on it a bit like immature. Um, but it was a good decision in the long run. Also, I mean, financial aid, they really came through in that department as well. Oh, um, but I was really drawn to, you know, they have... I kind of knew instinctively wherever I was going to go to school, I'd want to try a lot of different things. And, you know, Syracuse has a visual and performing arts school. They have a great music conservatory. They have the Newhouse School of Communications, one of the best of the country. Uh, they have this incredible creative writing MFA program that, you know, you can kind of like be in proximity of as an undergrad. Those were all things that were really relevant to what I was interested in. Absolutely. Um, and it was also a thousand miles away from home and something totally different. And it was one of those like, I'm just going to spin the globe and put the 
tack down and go here just to challenge myself, uh, which definitely made it hard at first to adjust. But I think it was ultimately pretty good because, you know, uh, at a big school, you kind of have to, you know, go out of your way to find people. You can't uh, find people you connect with. I think, you know, I, I think that one of the most valuable things I learned at Syracuse was just how to put myself out there. Right. I think if I'd gone to some small, you know, art school or liberal arts school, it would have been fine. But I think I probably would have met people right away who uh, I connected with more. And at Syracuse, I didn't. And I realized, oh, I'm going to have to like go to social events and parties. And uh, mm-hmm. that was a big deal for me at the time because I didn't really go to social events and parties as a high schooler. I was most of the time um, staying home on the weekends and just playing video games or something. Uh, totally. So, you know, well, Syracuse and going to a big, big school like that. Uh, it really got me out of my comfort zone and broke totally. me out of my shell and opened some doors and, and, um, you know, not, not to, um, you know, essentially blow too much hot air your way, but it's apparent to me that you excelled. I know you received a fellowship for a fit, a fifth year past your undergrad for well, yeah, essentially uh, <laughs> graduate studies. Walk me, walk me through that. Yeah. So you, well, yeah, you obviously uh, you had strong accolades in your time at Syracuse. You know, it's and, a, I mean, it technically was called a fellowship. I generously okay. think of it as, Oh, you didn't major in what you want to do and need more time. Here you go, money. <laughs> got, um, it, got it. Got it. But but it was technically a fellowship. It was basically this thing where you said, "Look, if you've if you've decided at your fourth year you want to stay and work on another project, um, you can apply for this. You'll get basically a free year of graduate school credits to do whatever you want with, and uh, in exchange, you'll have to do some." have a community service project, which, which I did. Um, and so I basically, you know, my whole thing was in, in Syracuse, I majored in English. Um, I had initially applied to the Newhouse school of communications. They're sort of flagship communication school, but I didn't get in, um, multiple times, even after attempting to transfer in. So I majored in English and then just started going to Newhouse classes and basically bambiizing the professors and saying, Hi, I didn't get in here, but I think what you're teaching is cool. Can I please uh, stay here? And that was when I got connected with uh, professors who were, you know, in sort of the sound music world. Um, okay. I I met, you know, all of my best friends at college were pretty much through Newhouse. Uh, I basically joke that I got like a, you know, stolen Newhouse education at Syracuse uh, through that. Um, you know, I was working in their computer labs and managing their recording studios by the time I had the fellowship. So that was like a, mm-hmm. that was kind of a funny thing. Um, but yeah, so basically, uh, I majored in English and, you know, I took some studio recording electives and realized, well, like this, you know, I, I loved majoring in English. I mean, I love reading and finding patterns and things. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's one of the most valuable skills you can develop, but I, you know, the first time I was in this recording studio, I was like, I think I want to do this. So, uh, what I used my fellowship for and all my graduate credits for were basically just taking more classes in that world and then just doing independent studies where I recorded tons and tons and tons of music. Uh, I recorded my own band. I recorded my friend's bands. Um, and it was through that process. I ended up meeting Mark, my, uh, creative partner on archive 81. And we made our first ever, uh, radio play together. Phenomenal. Well, and I, I'm going to get there here in, in a few sure. chapters. Um, and, and I appreciate you bringing up Mark's name. And so you finish, you finish at Syracuse after those five years, which included yep. both your undergraduate degree. And then of course, um, your graduate courses, which 
I mean, we might argue um, even even more of a graduate education than, than others um, with the experiences that you had in tandem with that. And then you moved to New York, New York yep. City, right? Immediately. So yeah. was this, Dan, and, and, and pardon me for this might be novice in asking, but when you're talking about sound and audio, was the immediate springboard for you to be doing this specific to the music industry? Because that has now since morphed to more of the general blanket term of media. Yeah. General, right. So, yeah. Walk me through kind of maybe chronologically from, yeah. from post Syracuse to kind of what you're doing now. Sure. So, I mean, I think, yeah, like my last couple of years of Syracuse, I did sort of have it in my head that I would maybe do something music focused uh, in terms of okay. either like audio engineering or being a producer or something like that. And, right. uh, I moved to New York for a few reasons. Uh, one was, uh, you know, I had a lot of friends who were moving there and my sort of immediate network was there and it seemed ideal if I was moving to a major city to at least start, you know, with, uh, you know, some people I could trust and rely on. Mm-hmm. Um, I, in particular, I had one good friend, uh, Eric Avilas Boas. He's a, uh, editor at Vulture now, but he had like a really cheap room in his apartment and was like, dude, if you want to move, like one of our roommates had to like go home. So like we have this room opening up, um, that by New York standards was incredibly affordable, um, which was really lucky. Uh, the other thing is it just, it felt like just good signs. I like visited the city over spring break and got like a good gut feeling just from being there. Um, Mm -hmm. when I asked other alumni from Syracuse who were kind of doing what I wanted to do, for advice, they said, uh, yeah, just like move to New York and just like dive in. And I sort of took that to heart. Um, and so, yeah, I, yeah, I finished school and, you know, finished Syracuse in May, 2013. I went home for a month just to regroup and kind of get everything together. And then, yeah, moved to city on uh, June 20, June 26th, uh, 2013. I still, still have the, uh, airplane, you know, ticket stubs from that date. Uh, kind of consider it a power object at this point. Absolutely. And um, with what, um, you know, kind of you've been doing professionally in tandem with uh, your, 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 we'll call it a, I guess we'll call it a hobby or side hustle. I I, I mean, um, you know, that, that fast forwards to present you're, you're with the New York times. You officially work as a senior sound designer and composer, right? Yeah. So, uh, I'd imagine that touches a lot of different avenues at the New York Times. Uh, that's not necessarily, you, you know, before we got on the on the call here, you referred to it certainly as I know your day job, right? Um, but I, I'd imagine there are some off hours to make sure things are are hit at the right time and produced appropriately when stories pop up. I mean, walk me through like what what's a day? Yeah. Being at, uh, in the life of a senior sound designer and composer at the New York Times. Yeah. Um, so I got hired at the New York Times uh, almost three years ago just as an audio engineer. Um, mm-hmm. Just basically the New York Times podcast team that makes The Daily um, and various other shows was mm-hmm. still sort of growing then. And they basically needed more people to just help out with technical and systems things. Um, mm-hmm. And my boss, who's just you know, been like really, I have to credit him with just being a really good mentor and, you know, helping me in the like kind of broadcast audio world. He told me my first week, like, Hey, like, um, if you have any downtime on the job, uh, you can, you should 
feel free to like make music for the daily because we always need more of it. They're like, he was like, we have this music library subscription, but you know, producers often want stuff they can't find there. So if you feel like it, no pressure. And again, that was another thing I took to heart. I just started making music and putting stuff into the, you know, Dropbox, not really thinking anyone do anything with it. And then, you know, producers started using my stuff in daily episodes. They started coming to me and asking, Hey, like, that was a really cool string quartet thing. Could you make something for this episode we're doing? And so we'd start collaborating. Um, Eventually it grew to the point where that was most of my job was, you know, help composing music, but also helping to strategize about the way music was being used in um, Mm -hmm. things. And I'm still very much an audio engineer at heart. I still mix and troubleshoot and, you know, uh, I'm still deep in, you know, pro tools and all that good stuff. But like, uh, you know, uh, basically it happened to the point where, you know, a year into the job, I was like, Hey, like, I think maybe, you know, my job title isn't just engineer anymore. Perhaps there should be something to reflect the fact there's music involved. And so my job title was changed to sound designer and composer. And then, um, now we have a robust team. It's not, I, you know, I can't take uh, sole credit for all the great music you hear on the daily. I have two like incredible, brilliant colleagues who also write music. We have a team of engineers. Um, mm-hmm. Every every now and then we'll all kind of jam out and put music together uh, that goes on the daily. Uh, but mm-hmm. I, you know, sort of since sort of been promoted to the point where I do have like one direct report and I'm helping with more bigger picture strategy around the team as it pertains to the creative aspects of audio mm-hmm sound design and music so hence where the senior part comes in Um, a day in the life of what i do at the times can include everything from you know last week i was getting up at 1 a.m to um, mix the daily uh we have a fantastic engineer who's based in london who typically Mm -hmm. does this but whenever he's on leave uh we'll just rotate and sort of work work a graveyard shift to get it out in the world and it's honestly pretty fun um because you get to like hear breaking news right as it's breaking and you know you're the one responsible for making sure everything sounds good before it goes out to you know millions of people every day uh so no no pressure (laughs) uh uh, you know uh i was mixing some content that's going in the new new york times app this week uh i was working uh with some colleagues on some uh early music concepts for the new york times tiktok that's gonna be out soon uh very cool I was doing some just general kind of planning as it relates to like my team and, you know, what, what kind of musical projects we're taking on this year, but um, yeah, it can really be all manner of things. And that's uh, again, just circling back to, you know, I went to Syracuse cause I get bored easily and I wanted to try a lot of different things. And mm. uh, I really like having a job that is all encompassing and tries a lot of things. You know, I might be, I might be deep in working on a piece of music for, you know, uh, something that's coming out in a month one day and I might be mm-hmm. helping someone, you know, troubleshoot their uh you know audio interface io config the next uh um, you know ping-ponging between left and right brain and certainly certainly. uh, i honestly love that uh it's great but uh, yeah the times is a wonderful place to work so well thank you for sharing i i want to extract from what you said one word and 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 process which is creative and the creativity and and it will really kind of lend itself to, to my next set of questions, which has to do with podcasts that you and your friend Mark, uh, amidst a lot of others, have have, have worked on. Um, and in, in recent, really kind of, I guess, the past three to four weeks has just um, catapulted in popularity. Um, 
but that that would be the 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 fiction podcast that you all started in uh 2016 if i'm not mistaken yeah. timeline wise right we uh that- <clears throat> yeah we we kicked around the earliest kind of embryonic uh mm-hmm. ideas in like fall 2015 Fall but we, but okay. we, yeah, recorded launch 2016. Yeah. Amazing, and and of course, what what I'm referencing is is Archive 81, yep. uh, and um, was a podcast that you all produced until um, a, a 2019. I believe there were um, um, th- 35ish episodes or so of of Archive 81, and that has been adapted to um, TV through Netflix, mm-hmm. which was released last month. And um, I'd imagine you're particularly proud to have seen that that was trending as the number one show on Netflix for uh, a few weeks, which it was is, pretty cool to see. Yep, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty remarkable. Um, so let's go back to that 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 word creative. Um, I, I, I have to admit, um, I, I listened to a few episodes of the podcast and um, binge watched the, the show um, as and. Uh, fully, fully was, um, enamored by it and the multiple layers of, uh, in, you know, damn, whether we call it, um, horror, sci-fi, another, another subgenre I'm not speaking of, it just really kind of, uh, an amalgamation of a lot of things. How and, and, and when did all of this come together? You said 2015 to 16. I'd just love to hear yeah. more about like how it all came to fruition. Sure. Um, so the earliest seeds of the idea for Archive 81 were, you know, inspired by a actual job I used to have. Um, okay. I, we didn't really cover this, but when I moved to New York, um, I briefly worked an unpaid internship at a music licensing house. And then I was like, I can't afford to do an unpaid internship. Uh, and I'm wired a certain way where if I'm not sure. working and making money, I like, I, I, I gotta, I gotta have a job. So I got a job at uh, the grand central Apple store fixing iPhones for about okay. six months. Just to I know exactly where that store is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty big story. Um, it's well trafficked. <laughs> it's well, tra- oh boy, is it ever. Um, yes. so I did that for six months. And then, uh, the first opportunity that sort of came up for paid work was, mm-hmm. uh, what's called music tagging. So, you know, okay. you know about Shutterstock and photo libraries, totally. um, places where you can find stock photos or doc, stock footage. Well, that exists for music too. There's stock music libraries where, you know, if you don't have time or expense to hire a composer, you can, you know, a lot of music you'll hear in commercials or on reality TV or TV generally will come from mm-hmm. a library where someone's like, okay, we just need some, you know, drone to put under this news segment or this, um, you know, these, these places will crowdsource lots of music from composers. Mm -hmm. Uh, so the job they needed was someone to listen to all the music and write descriptions of it, um, and write tags for it. And that the, the company that owned this music library was called SoundSnap, which was primarily and still is known as a sound effects library. Uh, so I did a little contract work for them. And then, uh, you know, SoundSnap was like, Hey, like you've been doing good work. We'd like to hire you just sort of full-time as like a generalist here. Um, and so a significant amount, and, and this was a fully remote job. Um, okay. Uh, this was before, before COVID remote. Before you know, I work was, from home. Was, before work okay. from home was the norm. I was doing it all the time. Um, okay. okay. So a lot of my job was we'd get these big deliveries of sound effects from, uh, you know, recordists and sound designers. And I'd just be listening to them all day alone in my apartment and writing descriptions of them. Um, wow. And I was living in a, you know, uh, this was 
you know, early mid twenties didn't, you know, me and my roommate, Eric, we were living in this very kind of like shabby, uh, not even shabby cheek, just straight up shabby apartment Mm -hmm. in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. Uh, cause mm-hmm. it was the cheapest one we could find. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, this building was, uh, dirty. Uh, you know, there were bugs. There was a, uh, there was someone in the neighborhood who had a CB radio that they would talk on all the time that would get into my headphones and all my equipment. Uh, there were weird noises outside. I was alone in my apartment listening what? to like sometimes weird sound effects, like recordings of, you know, Uh, sound libraries contain everything. Like if you need the sound of someone gasping for breath, you can find it. So I'd be listening to just weird sounds alone by myself in this weird place. And I was also, you know, as everyone who has uh, worked an office job at some point, I was, you know, listening to podcasts and saying, man, like, I wonder if you could do a fiction podcast about a guy just like alone listening to weird sounds (laughs) and having to talk about it and like have it set in this apartment building. And then uh, when Mark, uh, you know, Mark, as I mentioned before, uh, Mark and I had worked together on a radio play in college. It was Mark's uh, senior thesis project, actually, that um, mm-hmm. he wrote and directed, and I'd start. And Mark and I, you know, we reconnected this a couple years after college. He visited the city, and mm-hmm. we were just saying, oh, we were both fiending to work on a creative project outside of our jobs. And I was like, hey, like, I've been, I have this idea, like, do you think it could work to just have a show about a guy just, like, alone in his apartment listening to weird stuff? And, like, he has, like, some weird boss who's yelling at him. Um, and there's all these like kind of otherworldly elements to it that are uncertain. And Mark was like, yeah, like, I I think, I think that'd be cool. And we, it was just like this instant chemistry. I think I remember our very first G chat call. We just were bouncing ideas back and forth for like two hours straight. And I think we both were like, I think we have a good idea here. Uh, so we decided to, um, you know, the way we divided the labor is, you know, we came up with all the major beats of the story together. Mark, you know, would physically write the scripts and I would just sort of line edit and give broader editorial feedback on how everything felt. Okay. We'd hammer that out together. And then, um, yeah, we just, we basically were, we, we were so hype about the idea. We're like, we just got to get this out here and, you know, recorded it in January. Um, first, first day of recording was like a huge epic snowstorm uh, it hit the city. So like, I, you know, my, my friend Amelia who plays melody and I, we like trudged across the snow to our friends, like little cramped apartment where we, yeah. you know, we couldn't afford a studio. So we found a friend who had a really like good quiet apartment and just set up some like microphones sure. in the back room. You know, my dad flew up to New York to record all his parts. I was going to um, ask you. Yeah. Yeah. He, my dad. Yeah. So my dad crashed on my couch and I was worried like, Oh, like, I hope this isn't, uh, like huge asking, you know, my dad to crash on my cat, but he was like, just, as I recall, he was just like, Oh, this is awesome. This is like being in college again. He was, he was vibing with the like Brooklyn DIY experience. Of Um, course. So yeah, we, you know, we recorded it over a couple of weekends and then I, you know, uh, uh, went into my hidey hole to do the editing and mixing and sound design, um, Mm -hmm. music. Mm -hmm. That's the part, you know, I sort of own, Mm -hmm. um, uh, of the process. Uh, but it's sort of the same thing because Mark will like, we're both like kind of holistically involved in giving each other feedback and sure. you know, where I'm editing Mark's scripts. He's, you know, giving me lots of editorial notes on the sound. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, the re- the rest is kind off, of history. Yeah. Off to the races y'all win. I mean, I, I, I tried my best to, to, um, you know, dig and get some more insights on the project and, um, best of my, my 
calculations, there were you know, like 74 or 75 different voice actors involved. I mean, like quite yeah. the collaborative project. Like this was not just five individuals. Totally. Um, yeah. I mean, that, that's huge. And yeah, um, I mean, and that's, of course, that's over, you know, a few years with multiple exactly. seasons. Every, you know, every season of Archive 81 is kind of a different, goes in a different direction um, with right, new characters right. and new settings and everything. But yeah, we've worked with a great deal of, yeah, we've worked with a great deal of different, you know, really talented collaborators. Um, I've made some, you know, great friends in the process. Yeah, uh, no doubt. It's, it's cool, like, just seeing, uh, I, I, you know, my favorite moment is when we get in the studio and you hear it come to life. It's like, you know, writing a sure. piece of music and hearing a symphony play it for the first time. Oh, that's special. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and, 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 and I don't want to monopolize things with, with only Archive 81 talk. I mean, you, you and Mark have a production company with podcasts, Dead mm-hmm. Signals, right? Yep. And um, there was a subsequent podcast, um, or maybe in tandem with rather, excuse me, Deep Vault. Yeah. So we did that between seasons one and two of Archive 81. Yes, that's, that's sort right. of a little bonus. <laughs> Uh, deep vault, yeah, very. Uh, deep vault was a lot of fun. We had a great cast for. I mean, I think uh, the ensemble cast chemistry in the deep vault uh, is just you know some of the best we've ever had performer wise. Uh, mm-hmm. I was I was very happy with how that one turned out. It's just fun, you know. Yeah, no doubt. And and so Dan, you've got uh, you, you and Mark and, and and Dead Signals have a, a new project that will be released in the future, and um, that is called Wavelength. Correct. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Can you, would, were we able to get a little teaser of at least maybe what it's about? What are some of the ins and outs of the focus of this one? Well, Wavelength is really about, um, you know, it's, uh, I think Mark said it best in the part of the log line he wrote. It's about the monsters we create and the people who have to fight them. Um, oh, wow. It deals with themes of, you know, the rapid acceleration of technology and what that's doing to us and sort of tries to interpret that uh, looks at that through the lens of, you know, what if, what if the amount of information we're consuming every day and the, the number of, you know, all the data farms and all the information being processed, what if that's having, you know, some sort of like extra paranormal effect on the world? And, and what is that effect? Uh, that's, that's the most I'll say about it right now. Uh, incredible just gotta I'm, I'm, you know I'm eager but, to listen <laughs> oh yeah we're, we're eager to have it out there so yeah that's great well we've um reflected a, a good amount uh in in a short amount of time of the variety of chapters you've had from from your your youth and growing up in the darlington community to college to to your professional pursuits and you know dan there's this uh really kind of um larger picture of what I'd hope to extract from our conversation, as would our listeners, which would be the the nuggets of wisdom, you know, for that that Darlington graduate or maybe that young grad after their undergraduate or graduate pursuits to maybe want to mimic something similar to what you've done. They're thinking, wow, that is pretty incredible. Like that is speaking to me. I want to do, you know, similar work. What what maybe tidbits would you offer to to find a success? You, you kind of peppered some through our conversation, but if you could highlight, you know, that, that advice, those nuggets of wisdom for, for the next generation of, you know, senior sound designers and composers. Yeah. Um, yeah, of course. Uh, well, I mean, I really think uh, one of, if you're interested in going into a creative field, uh, the, the maddening answer is that there's, there's no direct doorway. There's no direct mm-hmm. entry point. Everyone I know um, finds sort of their own path into something, often with, you know, twists and turns. Uh, no, no 
two people's stories will really ever totally match in that way. Mm-hmm. That said, I think there is one universal thing, which is uh, whatever your you know chosen craft, uh, whether that's you know painting, creative writing, if you want to mm-hmm. be a musician, I think just study the heck out of your craft and practice a lot um, mm-hmm. and make you know make your own stuff and focus on making the absolute best thing you can make um and you know put it out there however you can uh reach out to other people who are doing things you like you'd be surprised at how many mm-hmm. artists with substantial followings will you know absolutely respond to you cold e- you know as long as you do it in a concise and professional way uh cold emailing them out of the blue i uh you know my second year in new york i found out that uh, the, the bassist for the band, They Might Be Giants, Dan Weinkoff, was living mm-hmm. uh, uh, a few stops away from me on the LIRR uh, out in Long Island. And I just sort of had a you know moment where I was like, I emailed him and I was like, hey man, like I'm a huge fan of your work. It's okay if this is out of the question, but like I would totally pay you if I could just like come out and take a bass lesson with you because like wow. your bass lines are really good. And he got right back to me. He's like, "Yeah, dude, no problem. <laughs> like, come on out." Wow. And we we had this amazing like just two hour hang sesh where he showed me a bunch of things. Incredible. And he was like, "Look, here's what I studied. I'd recommend study this. Uh, bass is you know one of my primary instruments, and right. at the time I was like really into just studying and learning it. Sure, um, sure. And just doing stuff like that. I mean, you, you know, sure. I, I I always say like you know whenever i'm talking to someone who's you know aspiring to do more of their own creative work and they talk kind of glowingly about like oh i love this this artist or this producer and you know if it's if it's if it's someone who's not like a list level untouchable you know the, it's always worth an email or dm and the worst mm-hmm. that happens is you just don't hear anything back um so i always and i i, I encourage that just cuz like you know i think you know, when I was a teenager, I wouldn't have thought to be so bold to like just reach out mm. to people, uh, mm-hmm, to just cold email mm-hmm. or put myself out there like that. And, uh, you know, I eventually became rather, you know, I don't want to say shameless about it. Cause I like to think <laughs> I maintain some level of professional courtesy when I'm reaching out to people, sure. but I think there's nothing wrong with, you know, putting yourself out there in whatever oh. means that means to you, uh, again, uh, make the thing you want to make, uh, don't worry. Look, I, before I got my job at the New York times, I got rejected from like every place that makes podcasts in New York city, like WNYC, Gimlet scripts, like anywhere that makes shows, I would like get to the final round of interview and they'd be like, sorry, you're just not like what we're looking for. Um, and, and some of this was before archive 81 and some of this was after archive 81. Some of this was after I had like a track record in the early years to prove like, Hey, look, I'm capable of doing this. Um, I recommend, you know, I, I, I think sometimes if you're really creative and driven and have and can exact your own vision, um, that'll actually scare companies away sometimes because they're, they're worried you won't like maybe be a team player or conform to their standard. And that's obviously totally. not to say those two things can't exist. They absolutely do. I feel like they do in my totally. job. You know, the times is a wonderful place to work. Uh, I certainly value the work I do there just as much as the work I do on my own projects. Nice. Uh, at the same time, it's a place where, you know, I can also do archive 81 on the side and they see that as this, you know, positive thing of like, Hey, he's interested in all sorts of things and what could, you know, he'll, he's probably getting a better range of experience he can bring to the table here. Um, sure. so, uh, I would say yeah. another thing and, I'm, I I hate this for being so vague and and glaringly obvious, but like uh, trust your intuition. Um, 
Yeah. Intuition is a superpower. It's 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 one of the true human superpowers we have. And if you're if you're in touch with it and you follow your gut, um, it'll generally lead you in the right direction. Generally, of course. No doubt. Oh, Dan, um, that's um, incredible advice. Um, creative path is not linear. Takes some tenacity, certainly takes some gumption, and uh, intuition is one of our greatest superpowers. I mean, just phenomenal advice for for all, any of our audience, whether a young alum or, or a, a career change uh, at forty five, or, or someone yeah, who's absolutely who's who's, who's retired. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure connecting. Um, I speak on behalf of the entire Darlington community and just saying. Um, a huge congratulations. I mean, uh, especially with some of the, the press recently from New York Times to Variety to Forbes. I mean, your, your name is 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 um, scattered across all of those um, different platforms with the recent success of RK Vita One. You've you you you've carved certainly uh, a successful path um, in in your career, and just just thrilled for you. And again, I, I say that on behalf of the entire Darlington community. My hope is that. Next time you're in Rome, you can swing through campus, join us up at the Home on the Hill, or when we're up in your neck of the woods next, we'll have to connect and we can uh, dig in a little more too on kind of how things are going at Darlington and and, and get to know you even better. So I'd love that. The time. Yeah, I'd be happy to. That's uh, and thank you for you know this was really fun to just catch up and rehash lots of memories you know both from Darlington and stuff from five years ago too. So yeah. Absolutely. Well, Dan, I appreciate you taking the time. Best wishes for uh, continued successes, and we'll talk soon. Thanks so much, Carson. Really appreciate it. All right. Cheers, man. The Darlington Podcast, a production of Darlington School in Rome, Georgia, is a collaboration between the communication, advancement, and IT teams, and the intro music is student-produced. See show notes and hear more episodes at www.darlingtonschool.org slash podcast.